You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 34. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today on the show, I am happy to welcome Louis de Beer. Louis is the CEO of Cape Wools in South Africa. Cape Wools is the South African wool industry body promoting the interests of its members involved in production, trading and consumption of South African wool. Louis has been with Cape Wools for over six years and I look forward to learning much more about the South African wool industry from him. Welcome Louis, it's great to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. It's great to be on the show today. I just gave a very brief introduction, um, but please tell us a little bit more about your background and the work that you do in the wool industry. Okay. Um, I studied at the University of Stellenbosch. I reckon I reckon that's probably where, where most people's lives begin. Uh, got involved in, a, in, in accounting and financial management furthered my studies through uh, through UNISA, which is the University of South Africa, and completed the uh, the CTA degree, which is the Certificate of Accounting, and the Theory of Accounting, um, and basically did that to, to, to have a good basis to work from. You know, when you're a young man and you're starting out, it's very difficult to know exactly what to do and where you're going, and, and uh, at that point, that was a good a good stepping stone to to, to, to embark life on. Um, from then, I've continued my studies. I think it's a continual journey through life. Uh, currently busy with, with studies through Regenesis University. And um, yeah, basically been with, been with the wool industry now for six years. Before that, I was involved in the wine industry. I got involved in wine after my studies at Stellenbosch. It's just, uh, it was just a passion getting involved in, in agriculture literally starting in the beginning in production, producing, growing grapes, harvesting, and, and, and just being on the production side. But very quickly, very quickly came to understand that I needed to find another way forward for myself and then my young wife. And that's why I embarked on financial management and got involved in the, on the management side of affairs. And um, yeah, I just happily married, three lovely children, and, uh, and, and very happy to be serving the wool industry at the moment. Yeah, someone else on the show once said that actually wool and wine often go well together, that they often are carried out in, in, the, sim in the same countries. So um, that is then also true for you. you. You found a job in wine, but also now in wool in South Africa. Uh, no, on, 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 on the wine side, it was quite interesting that the, that the wine farmers are totally focused to wine. Totally, totally focused to wine. So you you really you really won't find a wine farmer diversifying uh, or visibly diversifying into into wool sheep farming, which is contrary to what the history dictates. Because initially initially they were they were very closely linked, especially when Simon van Estel was involved in 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 the Cape. And um, on the wool side, you've got wool sheep farm was entirely just focused on wool. And and that's more understandable because you can farm wool over a greater part of the country, which which you can't do with wine. But there's a huge opportunity for for the wine farmers 
to actually diversify and to use wool sheep farming in their in their operations. And um, I'm actually on record on a on a in, a in a magazine trying to trying to convince the, the sorry trying to convince the, the the wine farmers that they can they can find um, make up their profits by farming farming with wool as well. So that's a good quite a good question. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll be interesting to see if if your voice is heard, and you have to tell us in a few years if that if wine farmers did embark into wool, that would be interesting. And now that you've come yeah. to the wool industry six years ago, tell me what kind of like what did you learn and what fascinates you the most about the wool industry? Uh, I think the the wool industry's complexity. You know, you you would you would think that you would arrive in wool. And it's fairly straightforward. It's the product of the back of a sheep, and and how complicated and how difficult can it really be? But I was quite amazed at the at the level of expertise required to really, really, really understand and trade and process wool. Um, for the for the novice, you would think wool is wool, but the more you learn about wool, the more there is to learn about wool. And that, for me, has been really fascinating. I think I think it's not something that you will ever really master. You will reach a level of expertise, but from what I see, it will always keep you busy, and you'll always be able to learn something more. So the actual fiber itself was quite impressive. I didn't I didn't foresee that, um, and and that's been that's been quite an exciting and, and interesting journey. For the rest, I think the processes are. Are as complex. It's quite a long value chain, all the way from the processor, sorry, from, from the producer through to the to the uh, the broker, through to the buyer, onto the early stage processor, and then and then spinning, weaving, and garment manufacturing. In our case, and um, uh, you know, trying to understand all the complexities within each each of those uh, individual areas, requirements. That's also been that's also been quite a uh, quite a fascinating journey trying to trying to comprehend how the entire value chain feeds into the next to the next step um, yeah you know, for the for the rest I think the people are also quite interesting uh, you know you as the CEO of Cape Wolves you meet a lot of interesting people along the way uh, not only in South Africa but also also internationally and and Seeing the different countries with with all their different challenges and how they work and how they work together, and then comparing that to South Africa and and understanding how South Africa works and you know that that's been that's been quite a journey and um, and an exciting one at that. Uh. What you're saying is a good sign for me because that'll mean that it'll ne never get boring on my podcast to talk about wood because there are so many topics to dive into. And I agree, it is very complex and diverse indeed. I think I think the, the, the correct English the correct English word is probably intricate. Intricate. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's intricate. You would you would think you would think if you look from, from, from an outside perspective that it would be fairly simple and and fairly straightforward. And yes, when you when you look at it in its in its rough form, it is. It's quite easy to understand the process. But when you when you get involved in the detail And you understand the level of expertise at each and every stage of the process. You're just impressed by the intricacy involved in all of this. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay, thank you. That's a good word to, for me to learn as well. And um, now that we have you on the show, um, please tell us more about Cape Woods in South Africa. It's fairly straightforward. Um, Cape Woods is the, the industry representative organization for, for the South African wool industry. We represent the, the value chain all the way from, from producers through to early stage processes. We have a board of 10 members that, that represent each, each um, area within the value chain. And we are mandated by industry to perform certain, certain tasks on behalf, of, on behalf of the industry. And they really, they really are quite varied. Um, we do promotion, both international and, and local promotion of wool. At the moment, we refer to this as wool awareness and promoting the wool, wool awareness within, within our markets. Uh, we are also responsible for research and development. Uh, we have a research committee that works closely together with the different research institutions. And we try and, in, try and identify topics of interest to the industry and then we research them as, as, as well as possible. We're also responsible for the secretarial services for the industry. You know, as an industry, you generally have to meet quite often to discuss all the different issues. So there are various committees that, that originate from the board that we, that we service as well. And then I think one of the, one of the, the um, probably the most important or one of the most important services we deliver is, is education to the industry. We do that using production advisory services, Uh, basically extension services that we supply to to the farmers. We subcontract this service through the through the National Wool Growers Associations, who are who are trusted partners of 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 Cape Wools by this time. And what else do we do? You know, we, we do so we do so much, Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, you know, production advisory services. And then of course we also We also provide statistical services. You know, one thing which is extremely, um, which I'm extremely proud of, is the industry's ability to measure itself and to deliver this information to parties that aren't involved in the industry. So we track, we track our sales, we track our production, we track our markets, and all of this is provided to through our website um, to to any party that 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 is interested. And that's specifically done to ensure that our that our industry is transparent, that it's accessible, that that new market participants know and have the information at hand and and can can participate in the market. Um, and then, of course, you know we are the leading role player within within the industry, and and there's a great responsibility on Cape Wools and specifically the board of Cape Wools to ensure that the that the leadership within the industry at an industry level, obviously not at the commercial level, but at an industry level is, is performed diligently. So in dealing with all these affairs, you know, we try and make sure that, that, uh, that the leadership element is built in and, and, and that we provide leadership in, the, uh, in each instance where it's, where it's required. Mm, I think that's really important what you're saying about the leadership and for sure during my time at IWTO, I thought that was very visible that South Africa as a wool industry um, was, yeah, stepping up and to lead um, wherever possible, also on an international level. So I think that is uh, really important. So a very vital role for Cape Wools. And what I always yeah. um, 
fast like when I think of South Africa, to be honest, I tip I would typically think of wild animals and safari, um, maybe yeah, good wine. But I wouldn't typically expect that there's such a big wool industry with actually a very, very long history um, as well. I read that the first sheep actually arrived in South Africa in 1789. So maybe, I, I'm assuming more people don't know all these details. Um, so maybe if you could give us a little bit of a brief overview of the South African wool industry history. I think I think it's important to to list a little bit of a controversial story in this in this. Unfortunately, I'm not a historian, Elizabeth, so I'm not going to be be able to, to take you through the entire history. But I will tell you the story of of um, Colonel Robert Gordon, um, and poor Colonel Robert Gordon during the during the British attack on the Cape in 1799 was a, was was accused of being a traitor, and this poor gentleman. Ended up committing suicide, which um, which was obviously quite sad, and especially so for his for his widow Susanna. And uh, at that point, she was so down downhearted that she decided to leave the country, and she also decided to take everything with her. But in the process, before she left, she sold 26 merino sheep to two British ships that were passing the Cape with supplies to Australia. And and obviously she took some of the some of the um, some of the sheep with her to to England as well. But um, the important thing here is that not all not all the sheep actually left South Africa's shores, because Colonel Gordon had sold a few of these merinos to the Van Rienen brothers, and the one chap's name was Sebastian Valentin, and the other chap's name was Jan Geisbert, and he'd sold these sheep onto them before his death. Now, the Van Rienen brothers were obviously quite industrial and they mated the Marina rams to their 300 hand-picked indigenous ewes and their crossbred offspring, plus a few Marinos that had been kept apart in a separate flock, were the, were the start of the South African wool industry. So there's a little piece of interesting history for you. So, yeah, that was like an interesting story of the beginning of the South African wool industry. And give us a little bit of an overview how the wool industry is set up today in South Africa. Look, I think the, the most important part of the, of the industry at the moment in South Africa is that it, it runs on a free market, in a, in a free market economy. We have no government regulation. We have very little government interference. We also have very little government support. So our producers are successful in their own rights, and and I think that is important for us because it means that our producer base in South Africa is healthy and well um, well founded. Uh, the rest of the industry, yeah, we have we have between four and a half and nine thousand commercial producers, and then we have between thirty and fifty five thousand com communal producers. When we say communal producers, um, it refers to people that are involved in in wool production, but they farm collectively, and they farm in regions where communal grounds are used for pastures. So that's what we refer to. That would typically be the Transkei and the Siskei, which are parts of the Eastern Cape. Um, but. But yeah, we support between four and a half and nine thousand, and thirty and thirty and fifty-five thousand communal producers annually. Um, 
the the sophistication levels in the industry are such that we can pay out anything from half a kilogram of wool delivered to market to whatever the biggest supplier delivers to market and and that's an incredible claim to be able to make that that within within system of distributing 52 and a half million kilograms of wool this year we are able to pay on an individual basis from the from the smallest to the largest supplier of wool um, for the rest i think the industry is fairly traditional you've got your producer base you've got your your, your brokers um, and and then you have your buyers that uh, purchase the wool for their for their clients on a weekly basis at auction we have 35 auctions for this year uh, we have one more than than the previous year and and after auction the wool is shipped to our clients we sell most of our wool at the moment to the processors in china we also have a lot of wool going through to the czech republic and india as well um but i think those are the channels that serve most of the most of the wool being sold globally so that's more or less what our industry looks like at the moment wow yeah thank you for giving us that overview and also please talk a little bit about what makes south african wool special and what kind of products would it typically be used for well first of all our wool goes into suiting and 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 there's a there's a pretty good market for for menswear including suiting and jackets at the moment always has been and hopefully in the in the future will always continue um and yes i will i will we generally don't produce wool over 24 microns it's pretty much all merino wool uh which is renowned for its good handle characteristics of south african wool i think the most important what we what we pride ourselves on as an industry is the the good classing standards we are still in a position to claim that where where wool is classed particularly well which is important because the buyer and the processor that uses our wool can produce a, a superior product because the uniformity within a selection is is better and more easily managed um, and for the rest, I think our animal welfare status within South Africa is also is also important. We do have the code of best practice, so we do adhere to the code of best practice as a as, as a as a country. But obviously, the winds of change are about, and and you do have retail requiring further standards. Um, you have you have commercial interests where people require audit auditing and verification of of on farm practices. You have a, a a bigger requirement for um, for 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 proof of origin, and and this is this is something that we're working on in the industry. Um, I think, I, as I said, our animal welfare standards are are highly regarded, specifically because of our code of best practice, which we ad adhere to, and and those are the factors that make South African wool most popular. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And I understand from what you're saying that actually all of the South African clip is then being exported and not um, used in South Africa. Yeah, we do we do process a little bit of wool locally. Our early stage processes do receive and, and process wool, um, which is then exported in top form. Uh, so, and then there, there is a bit of a bit of beneficiation that happens 
happens in South Africa, but but the lion's share of wool goes goes directly to the export market. Okay, thank you uh, for clarifying that. And um, sure. I I understood the last time I I, visit, I had the chance of visiting South Africa last uh, August, and what I understood back then is that there were actually more farmers coming into wool and. Um, that there was kind of a hype. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit how the South African wool industry developed over the last decade and how is it doing today? And maybe also give some reasons um, why it is the case. Elizabeth, we we had a look at the industry three years ago and, and um, some of the members of the Wool Trust specifically wanted to see a unified action launched within the industry um, that pursue a common vision for for the for the industry so they tasked cape wolves to have a look at this and which we did and and the board of cape wolves um, identified an opportunity within within wool for growth now the opportunity that they identified If you look back into into the history of wool all the way through from the 1980s, 1990s, the stockpile in Australia, the stockpile globally, then the, 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 when it was eventually sold out in 2001, subsequently to that sort of a free free market, market demand, market supply scenario where there was balance between supply and demand, or more so than in the past. And having looked at all those factors, then looking at the at the decline in wool production uh, specifically over the last three years um, actually in that time so the last five years between South Africa and Australia you came to the point where you where we identified a market gap which would be which would be called a, a market gap if you were a commercial organization but being 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 an industry organization this market gap was was then called a an opportunity The market was basically an opportunity for growth, and we debated this across the industry for quite some time, and we all agreed that this opportunity was real. That there was that there was an, an excess in demand for wool globally of at least 25 million kilograms of wool, which is significant because this is this is roughly 50% of our current production, mm -hmm. and and. What we did at that time was to was to not be prescriptive as to the different role players' actions that they had to take, but rather went about it in 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 speaking to all the role players, including government and all the different departments and all the and and all the role players in agriculture, informing them of this opportunity and telling them that 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 this was very real within the wool industry and that the wool industry had a um, had a contribution to make to the South African GDP and to grow by 50% and to yeah to, 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 to basically to basically earn extra foreign income to the value of between one and a half and two billion rand and uh, you know with all good plans it takes a lot of time to actually get things get things get the ball rolling. Um, during that same period, we experienced probably one of the worst droughts that, that South Africa has experienced ever, um, which 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 put paid a little bit to our to our initiative. 
but despite that, the message carried that that the industry was doing well, that there was an opportunity, that people should focus on wool sheep farming. If they had if they had to make a choice to get involved in agriculture and they had a choice to make between the different between the different segments of agriculture, that they should seriously consider wool sheep farming as a very very good alternative. And I'm very happy to say that that three years after starting the initiative and literally two years after after um, after having conveyed the message, we've increased our production with with five percent this year, which is an extra two and a half million kilograms of wool, more than we had last year, and that despite despite the drought. Um, so we are finding that people, new entrants, um, are both entering the market, producing wool, and 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 current producers are producing producing more more wool. Obviously, we've been we've been we've been blessed with the with the wonderful conditions within the industry supporting this initiative. And that was what this initiative was was based on: was the fact that the the wool price was continuing to to increase, the price for mutton was continuing to increase increase. Sorry, and 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 our um, assumption was that this would continue to do so, not only in the short and medium term, but also in the long term. And we very often hear at the meetings we attend of the the wool pipeline that's empty. Um, we have our own experience of the demand for wool, which is which is communicated to us through the industry, and it's just a wonderful picture at the moment. So yes, we are we are driving this the uh, the growth initiative quite quite strongly in South Africa. Um, what we did need this year to to I think really drive it was some good rains, and and. Yeah, we, you know we're expecting experiencing a, uh, a huge storm in Cape Town as we speak, and hopefully the drought in the in the in the northern and southern Cape will be lifted, and if all goes well, we should have a bumper crop next year as well. Oh, I, yeah, that's really interesting, um, and I actually didn't know all this um, this initiative by Cape Woods, so I think it's really fascinating to hear that. And yeah, I, and I think it's amazing that you were able to increase your wood production by five percent. And yeah, fingers crossed that we will have a good season also next year. Um, and it, it's it's actually it's actually interesting, Elizabeth. Sorry if I may yeah. interrupt you. It's actually quite interesting the 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 effect that you receive from participants in the wool industry when you invite them to participate as opposed to telling them what to do. And what we found is just by just by just by um, telling our responsible partners in the industry of the opportunity and just opening their eyes to 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 this opportunity, we've actually been able to to receive commitment from from producers towards wool production um, because they look at this and they say, "But you know, this is a wonderful opportunity. I should be part of this." And yeah, that is, it, it's, it's been quite an exciting experience. Yes, I can imagine. But now you talked about the opportunities, but you also mentioned already a few challenges like the drought. Give us a little bit more details about the issues and challenges that South African wool is dealing with. Mm. Well, I think the drought is definitely definitely a challenge. Um, and And... 
but you know droughts come and go and we have to be positive and we have to we have to um, accept that the that the drought will also pass I think I think um, we have competing competing agricultural products that do influence production as well uh, our biggest challenge at the moment is more political um, and unfortunately you can't you can't have a growth initiative discussion without without having this political involvement where South Africa is at the moment I think um, political uncertainty is really is really stifling um, not only the growth of the country but also the growth of the wool industry and and but despite that despite that there are still wonderful people in government supporting these initiatives and and promoting promoting production so yeah we do have our challenges in south africa but uh, none of them insurmountable <laughs> okay i like your um optimistic uh view and um, <laughs> and when i um i saw on your website that you also have a project where you are helping small rural sheep farming communities with their wool production and you already talked about the communal farming in the beginning of our talk discussion um can you tell us a little bit more about this program and what you have achieved so far Elizabeth, if it weren't for for the project at the Inkeula village, just outside of Wittorsee, and its successes, I don't think the industry would have would have, or especially not from my office, would have been as passionate about the Eastern Cape's potential um, at this moment. I think one of the one of the biggest challenges facing the Eastern Cape um, is soil erosion and land management. And and I remember starting off in the wool industry and, and driving through the Eastern Cape, specifically on the way to Mtata, and and seeing the extent of the soil erosion and the degradation of of the land and thinking to myself, there is no way through this. But I've been proven wrong. Um, the chaps, the chaps at Nkeola village, um, and the people involved in the Zulukama, in the Zulukama initiative, both from the Krisani district municipality, the National Wool Growers Association, Indibano for Harvest, Olive Leaf Foundation, all our partners that have been involved, Mr. Yanda Mwebi, all of them have shown me that, that with proper planning and good management, you can turn things around. And you can do that using wool sheep farming, and that's been that's been extremely exciting. Um, it's filled me with with courage to tackle projects and to support projects being done in the Eastern Cape. And in the Eastern Cape, we produce 30% of South Africa's wool, and and within South Africa, we have between 5.9 or call it six six and eight and a half million hectares of unproductive land and a lot of that is found in 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 the eastern cape and um i think it's been quite successful in showing everybody in the eastern cape from all spheres uh the potential vested within the eastern cape for extended wool production so a top project very excited about it i think the the national wool growers association have also been involved in distributing rams into into the Eastern Cape 
um, a very, very clever initiative. It, 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 uh, it adds, a, I wouldn't call it passive, but let's say it's passive, a, a passive um, development where once the rams have been have been distributed, the flock is is regenerated and and a better quality wool is produced, irrespective of the farmer and the producer's level of expertise and his management practices. And um, the communal wool wool pr production as a result of this has become more profitable because of the improved quality of their wool. And because of the improved profitability, you've seen more people get involved and more people benefit um, from from wool production. So I think those are the two the two projects that stand out at the moment. There are others, I you know, in 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 the country as well, um, but those two are close to close to everybody in the industry's heart. And please explain a little bit more how communal farming exactly works. How is it set up? Elizabeth, I want to make a joke, and but I don't really want to joke about it. But you know, when you when you when you grow up in an environment where you have choice, where when you wake up in the morning and you can decide what is going to happen to your business during the day, then it's very difficult to imagine a communal wool sheep farmer's day. Because they do not have the level of choice that we have, so you can look at you can look at the the communal wool sheep farming experience, and you can describe it in terms of choice. They are limited as to where their stock, where their flock, can graze. They are limited in terms of of the planning that they can do, because because they don't have ownership of their assets. So. How does a communal wool sheep organization work? Um, first of all, the land is communally owned. So there would be either a chief or a tribal authority that would be, be responsible of the ownership of the land. And, and the villages on that piece of property would have access to, to, to pastures, but those pastures would have to be shared. And at best, they could have an agreement where they can, where they can, uh, uh, manage the pastures on their own terms at worst and this very often this happens quite frequently there will be no agreement and the pastures are available to every to everyone makes it very difficult to plan how do you plan your your winter grazing for your flock when your next door neighbor has access to exactly the same pastures as yourself and may or may not be as as good at planning as you are so There are very different challenges within within um, farming on communal communal properties. They do work. There are properties where where the authorities and and the producers have come to some sort of arrangement where they can can produce in an orderly fashion. Um, I think within that system, we have assisted. In the as industry have assisted in the development of 765 formally sharing sheds that formally deliver to the to the to the uh, the wool industry, but we have on record 1,225 shearing sheds, and the shearing sheds are literally wool growers associations 
where where farmers share collectively and send their wool to market. Our biggest challenge is the ownership of the land. The the farmers have have really struggled because they don't have access to to collateral, and they can't finance their operations, and they can't access access operational operational funding. But you can imagine, you know, within that scenario, the challenges that you that you go through. Um, I think it's I think it's a, a credit to the wool industry that this communal farming operation and the way it's driven um, can actually use wool sheep farming to benefit those communities in some way. It would be very, very difficult for them to 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 plant and harvest grain, for example, just because the structure in, 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 in deciding and planning and making decisions is so lengthy and so complicated. I hope I have given you a bit of a picture. I take my hat off to all the communal producers or to all producers producing wool and any agricultural product within the communal properties. So if I understand correctly, then the sheep are owned by a whole village then like everybody kind of owns the flock of sheep and take care of them or no no no, no they are there are um, individual ownership okay um, so your so your individual uh, producer will own his sheep he may decide to to pool his sheep into a collective um, flock which may or may not be be managed separate to himself, um, but then again, he also has the choice to to manage his own flock and to to to, to drive his own flock independently of his neighbour. Um, okay, but yeah. then he runs his sheep on the communal property, so he doesn't own the land. He doesn't own the land, mm -hmm. and he runs he runs his sheep on on the communal property. Oh. Yes. Okay, now that's clearer. Thank you. I'm sorry that um, for not being. Um, have I have to apologize, Elizabeth, for the lengthy for the lengthy discussion around that topic. It's one that's quite close to my heart, and, and no, and, yeah, and I think it's we get quite passionate about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's why I asked you because I think it's quite interesting, and and not many people know about it. So, and but I think at the same time, it's also an opportunity for these, uh, yeah, communities to to make their living on, on wool and and also, I guess, on the meat. And as you also said, they can improve the land um, from degradation through proper ma management. I think this, the sad truth is that, they, that, that within those regions, there is a lot of poverty. Um, the happy truth is that wool sheep farming uh, provides provides a real financial benefit um, to all of the communities, to all of those rural communities. Um, yeah. Yeah, and through the infrastructure that the wool industry is offering to them, they can actually participate in, in the international market. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal to think that you can that you can farm within those areas and and have access not quite direct, but have very easy access to the to the international market for wool. And not only that, at the same time, you can have access to a financial system that can reimburse you for the product that you've just sold.
Mm. You don't have, you don't have, you don't have one of the biggest challenges experienced in South Africa in agriculture, specifically for the for the small and emerging farmers, is market access and route to market. And that is one of the biggest benefits of, of the wool industry. You do not have to worry about market access. It's transparent. You can see where your wool is being sold. It's sold at auction. There's no, there, there's, there's absolute transparency. And on top of that, you have, uh, you have a route to market and market access. Um, I think, I don't, th- I, I don't know of any other industry that offers that benefit in its, in its, in its, to the same level as the wool industry offers it to, to, to its producers. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, yeah, That's I hope, yeah, that, um, the work that you're doing there will, will continue success- successfully. And before we come to an cl- a close of today's show, how can our listeners connect, uh, with Cape Woods and find out more about your work? I think the simplest is, uh, electronically just to, just to drop us an email Drop us an email at Louis at Cape Wolves, alternatively at Cape Wool at Cape Wolves. Um, and and if there is information that is already on our website, or if, uh, you know, obviously the first port of call would be the website, you can check us out on on www.capewolves.coza. Great. And I'll make sure to link to the website also in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Louis, for your time. And thank you. I wish you all the best and yeah, continued success for South African wool. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, and I look forward to the update on this uh, on, 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 on this discussion because we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, indeed. <laughs> thank you and bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a pleasure. Hopefully you learned something new about the South African wool industry with Louis de Baer today. I am always amazed how much I can still learn about the industry, but as Louis said, it is intricate. All the websites Louis the Bear mentioned are also captured in the show notes. Just visit elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 034. I also want to mention something else today. Our regular listeners may remember the interview I did with Mac Bishop from Wool and Prince from episode 5, as well as with Galina Witting from Babook in episode 12. Both brands raised funding successfully on Kickstarter and they talked about it in the episode. I wanted to have a closer look at what it takes to be successful as a wool brand on Kickstarter. So I did a little bit of research and found so many interesting things that I wrote a little guideline about it. I called the guideline how to raise money for your wool product on Kickstarter. And you can download the guideline for free on my website. You just need to visit elizabethvandelden.com forward slash kickstarter minus guide. But also if you just visit elizabethvandelden.com and scroll down, you will also find a link to this guide. You just need to enter your name and email address and then you can download the guide immediately on my website. Check it out, there were quite some useful hints and tips that I found while doing the research. I looked at what it takes to be successful on Kickstarter, but I also analyzed the 20 most successful wool brands that raised their funding on Kickstarter, so that we can all learn from them as well. Once again, you can find it at elizabethvandellen.com forward slash kickstarter minus guide. And I will also have a link in the show notes of today's episode. That's all for now. 
Thanks for listening. I appreciate you and talk to you again next week. Bye for now.